Welcome to Slater Pod's half year anniversary podcast. Hello from Zurich. Hi, it's Esther in London. So yeah, we just uh, noticed that this is episode 26. So we're at the, you know, the half year turning mark and uh, three of those uh, uh, month uh, out of the six, we've actually spent in lockdown. That is right. Although we're out of it now. Well, we're, we're going to spare you the whole COVID update. <laughs> I think the situation's similar. So uh, you know, the UK may be a few weeks uh, behind uh, where, where I'm here, but uh, gradually opening up. And that's uh, fantastic to see. We've also, for those of you who are, are, are watching this on YouTube, we've actually made some improvements to the look and feel uh, of the video uh, because, you know, the heads were too big and we're too close to the camera. <laughs> and <laughs> and uh, and so, so yeah, we're, we're using a, a different um, a video editing tool that we're going to uh, use the first time this time. So be, be patient. It's going to, you know, incrementally increase. I think we started out with like an MVP and now we're slowly uh, getting up to a, a slightly more, you know, uh, YouTube friendly format here, but most 2.0. Yeah, 2.0. <laughs> most of you listen uh, to this on on the podcast, I think. So, um, um, so yeah. Anyway, uh, first, uh, you know, SlaterCon remote. We're still um, three weeks out. Uh, probably hundreds of people are going to join. Feeling very excited about that. Registrations are coming in uh, quite quite quickly, and the program's finished now. So fantastic! The final edition is. Uh, David Edwards from PipeDrive. So he's the localization lead at PipeDrive. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's a software like SAS localization, which I think is a really nice addition to the program. It, it really kind of rounds it out. So we got, you know, we got everything, private equity, media localization, yeah. uh, even the linguist perspective with the Chartered Institute of Linguists CEO. And now we got, uh, you know, enterprise. Got gaming as well. Yeah, we got gaming and now we got enterprise SAS uh, uh, localization. So that that's pretty much, well, Covering a lot of the industry, let me put it this way. Mm-hmm. Today on the agenda, first, we're going to talk about a very large survey the European Union um, published results of this week. Uh, we've been in touch with them for a while. We kind of had a heads up that this was coming. And uh, so it's uh, it's 2,800 uh, companies they surveyed on like different use cases of machine translation and generally their attitude. And, and Esther, you're going to walk us through that. And then that kind of segues into a, a brief update Google Translate put out. It, and we're going to uh, talk about that. And then there is uh, M&A starting. Uh, surprisingly quickly after the the lockdown. So, yeah, I guess for some it's good. Um, those those selling it's good, and those buying hopefully it's going to be good <laughs> in three years from now. Uh, so M and A starting, and then uh, also with with this, you know, the M and A and the kind of the financial world restarting, or you know, there it's also a bit. It's becoming a bit of, bit of a diverging fortunes situation with some of the small businesses, small LSPs, and the linguists. So we're going to close on that. Mm. All right, Esther. Well, so 2,800 uh, responses or SMEs were surveyed in Europe around MT. Yes. What were some of the key findings there? Yeah. So it was 2,868, so almost 2,900 people. Um, and yeah, like you said, around sort of their machine translation use. So this is across um, small and medium enterprises um, across a variety of sectors and across a, a lot of obviously different countries um, in Europe. Um, talking about translation needs and their sentiment. So overall, apparently 40% of people in the survey had not used machine translation prior to taking part. 
Um, and so in, on a sector basis, um, so we had people from like manufacturing was about was a little over a quarter of people, um, other quite strong representation ac across the professional scientific and technical fields uh, and services generally, as well as wholesale and re retail and um, ICT. So let me, so let, quite, me just, quite, let me just yeah. jump in there. So you said 40% mm. had not used, but then the percentages yeah. we've uh, you've given now is around those that actually participated. So 28%. That's the people who participated, okay. yeah, just to give an idea of yeah. the, the sort of makeup of the survey participants. Um, and I mean, yeah, so really interesting kind of data points as well and, and some charts included there. Um, but so in terms of the countries, um, there, there wasn't a huge amount of difference, I have to say, across like countries that used MT more than others. So mm -hmm. it was quite an even split consistently across. Um, it was slightly higher in the UK, Bulgaria and Poland, where um, more than 50% of people in those countries said that their company does use machine translation. Um, and then in terms of where people think machine translation is good or where they preferred, where they would prefer to use machine translation, it's quite specific to certain um, sectors that they've said, uh, or certain uses, I suppose, social media, 80% um, of people said they would use, they would use um, machine translation for social media, 70% said they would use it for kind of gathering information, 60% of people said they would use it in the case of chatbots. Um, so those are the sort of strong use cases for machine translation. And then on the other side, you've got people still saying um, that they would prefer to use human translators um, for a variety of uses. So things like negotiating and signing contracts, uh, re resolving conflicts about commercial transactions, um, dealing with public sector um, abroad and, and things obviously like marketing and promotional activities as well that that kind of strongly came out as being uh, more more suitable for human translation. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, actually, there was a comment on LinkedIn uh, by no other than mm. uh, Lionbridge's chief marketing officer around that we shouldn't oh, yeah. have this dichotomy between uh, machine translation and human translation. I'll, I'll get to uh -huh. respond. Uh, I haven't had a chance to do that yet today, but yeah. Um, I think it's it's not really. I mean, the 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 survey was framed relatively rudimentary in the, in the basically yeah. where to use machine. I mean, there wasn't and, and human. There was no like okay, it's there's a human in the loop model. I think when they no. when they speak about human translation, they would I, I would assume in this survey just mean a human is part of producing the translation, right? Whether yeah, I mean that that hasn't been specified. Hasn't obviously. been specified, right? So I mm. think when these people say, well. For uh, you know, negotiating contract, resolving conflict, yeah. I prefer to have a human translation. I guess what they eventually mean is, I would like to have a human involved in doing sure. that translation, whether or not yeah. the machine did the prior translation or the, the initial translation. Yeah. Probably wouldn't wouldn't really matter to them as a, as an end buyer. And mm. I, I wonder. I would love to talk to the seventeen or so percent that said they would actually. Uh, prefer machine translation when doing negotiation or signing contracts. That's uh, uh -huh. that, that would be interesting. And really, you would prefer. So you're, <laughs> you're signing a contract uh, based on what a machine has given you. Like that's that's interesting. Mm -hmm. So yeah, uh, no, but I, that's that's a good point that you're that you're making there. So I think machine translation here really is should be understood as machine translation only or raw MT, and everything yeah. else would be. That's right. Eyes, eyes with the human, human eyes on it. 
That's right. I think for the the the, the responses on specifically machine translation, it is pure yeah. MT. But you know, the human yeah. side, I guess nobody really. Right. Some of the, many well, of these SMEs wouldn't. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say buyers. Yeah, I think we're making the same point here. I was just going to say it's not something that buyers maybe would even think about or need to think about necessarily. That's right. They just want to have a human involved uh, in, in one yeah. way or the other. So I think it's uh, it's not just like purely a human without any aids. Uh, yeah. yeah, then there's top factors for considering using MT, right? I mean, what people really yeah. want to, uh, uh, yeah, you looked at that. Well, so, so yeah, they're saying like, what, what, what factors or what what do you need from your machine translation i suppose or, or what do you look for in in translation accuracy ease of use um so accuracy came out on top followed by ease of use free of charge and then speed free of um, charge okay free of charge but i mean interesting free of charge was not top of the list um yeah. free fast so, and good uh, free yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. and then the least important for people was support so Although, I mean, that's the sort of thing which you're kind of, you don't realize that you need it until you need it. So who knows? Yeah. So what else do we have? We have um, top languages were English, German, and French. Um, yeah. Then how many the docs number... per month with free, secure, yeah. automated translation? What was that? Yeah. So that's how, ma- how many documents would you translate if you had access to a free, secure, and automated translation service? So most people, I mean, the, I guess the biggest number said somewhere between three and 10 documents mm-hmm. a month they would use. Um, and second biggest was somewhere between 11 and 50. So about a third of people said 11 and 50, 37% said between three and 10 documents a month. And I think they also then did a pilot to confer, which confirmed that people on average were using the service for about five, five documents a month. So not, not huge, but I mean, it's still depending on, you know, yeah, could be could be of important use to the business, I suppose. Yeah, but it also shows that those are not the most heavy users of localization mm. translation, right? If you translate course, five yeah. to ten documents a, a month, I mean, you have yeah, you have an occasional need, but it's not something they probably don't have like an internal localization manager, is what I'm saying, right? Sure. It's, it's oh like yeah, a, absolutely. This is a, ad, kind of ad hoc. Yeah, it's ad hoc. SMEs. Oh, all right. I have some client in some country. I need uh, a translation mm. done, or I need to understand something mm. when I get a get a, a an email from somebody. Or something like that. Yeah. Uh, so this this whole thing was conducted because they're well not launching, but they're pushing their e translation solution. E. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a bit more about e- that? Yeah. Yeah. E trans exactly e translation. Um, so this is a service that they it's a machine translation service online um, brought out by the commission in I think 2017 initially and it looks like they're sort of expanding the program relating to that so the service was originally created for government use also for academics universities um, and for um, SMEs so I think it kind of fits into maybe a bit more of an ideological goal um, because they're talking about you know wanting to put all businesses on an equal footing um, irrespective of the working languages of the companies Okay, so yeah, my question there would be, why does a public entity have to mm. create this? I mean, it's it's kind of nice to have, but there's plenty of private sector solutions for this, right? And uh, I mean, if you look at yeah. 
you know, DeepL's traffic numbers, obviously the private sector solutions are are doing really well. I mean, you know, they're, uh, we spoke about it many Not times free, before. Though. <laughs> well, free for five to 10 documents a month and it's definitely free. I suppose, yeah, I right? suppose. Now the but question secu- is, is it, yeah. is it secure? Are you really, you know, are you comfortable sending your data over to, to DeepL? So mm. probably free, 100% secure, et cetera, is, um, is maybe a hard um is is a bit of a difficult proposition for a private sector company. But that said, though, I mean, you're giving your documents to a public institution. So are you comfortable with that? Right. I mean, they, well, exactly. There, yeah, there, there's people question. that would argue against that as well. So it's 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 right. uh, yeah, it's an interesting project. And it's also uh, I wonder how much traction it's going to get competing with private mm-hmm. sector solutions. Right. So, it's, yeah, um, I mean, I think it was it was absolutely fascinating just in terms of sort of the scope of the of the survey. And I mean, definitely need to look into it a bit more and, and kind of break down some of the analysis there, you know, per country and, and potentially per sector as well to see if there's anything that can be can be sort of gleaned. Yeah, we'll look into this with pivot tables. Yeah. So, yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, moving on from uh, a public sector MT to a very much private sector MT that, you know, wh- wh- whatever they do with your data, Google Translate. So uh, I'm not going to go into detail here because that's a, an, an endlessly deep rabbit hole I fell into many times over the past five years. But Google Translate published a blog post around their recent advances and, and kind of it was a nice summary of you know where things came uh, how far things have come but where uh, things are still um you know there's this room for improvement so basically they said hey um an update on the system so they said that um they had these recurrent uh, rnns recurring the neural networks that was the initial architecture mm-hmm. they moved on to the transformer network i think this seems like a not so relevant detail, but I think for actually the, the 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 language industry at large, this is something to remember. Like there was a kind of a transformational mm. shift from one framework to another one, and Google Translate uh, did that. Now that said, though, they said that um, they now use a hybrid model where the so-called encoder is on the transformer and the RNN, uh, the, the decoder is on the RNN. Now I gotta say, mm-hmm. I have no idea what encoder and decoder means uh, from a technical point of view. But that's what they're using now. They also said that um, uh, one of the advances was uh, that they in- improved uh, the web crawl. So, you mm-hmm. know, that, that Google Translate's basically feeding off all of the bilingual content on the Internet. Yeah. And that they they denoised that training data. That was another advance they made. And I think I find it interesting that uh, from a Google perspective, really the first thing that comes to mind when they think about parallel data is the Internet. Right, as opposed to many of these okay. yeah. more managed service or niche machine translation provider who probably don't go out there and, and crawl the internet, but actually okay. you know have highly curated yeah. uh, uh, parallel data repositories. But of course, for mm. Google to offer solutions in uh, or uh, MT in like 150 languages or 110 languages, they mm. you know it would just be an impossible task to have like humans curate and 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 polish all that data. Now. They pointed out that in, in low resources languages, there's also um, some that they're working on this. There's these back translation um, mechanisms that we yeah. spoke about in the past. I'm not going to go into it here. The massive multilingual approach. And then, mm-hmm. um, you know, this this apparently allows for like massive, uh, for transfer learning on a massive scale. So, for example, they mentioned you, uh, you can train a Yiddish model on a German uh, on German data and that, mm-hmm. you know, so it, there's some transfer learning involved there. Uh, on the translation quality aspect, they didn't 
they didn't mention anything new. It was still, they're still using that blow metric uh, that we mentioned yeah. many times before. That is a very flawed metric if you actually look very closely. Um, to wrap up, I think what's very interesting is that they continue to use these um, these kind of uh, caveats. So they say, although right. impressive strides forward for machine translation have been made, one must remember that especially for low resource languages, automatic translation is quality is far from perfect. Or they say mm-hmm. state-of-the-art systems lag significantly behind human performance in all but the most specific translation tasks, right? Yeah. Very interesting that four years after all of the human level quality breakthrough, groundbreaking advances, mm-hmm. we're launching this now. Basically, we're literally at the exact same caveats that we were at 10 years ago, right? So yeah. now has MT improved? So it's definitely ma- better, yeah. but not, you know, it's in, abs- in a very sort of niche context. It's absolutely, it's, it's massively better, but the, the way they're yeah. phrasing it is still exactly the same. So they're kind yeah. of coming back down to earth a little bit. Do you know, um, one one point I was going to say, and I think I, I mentioned this to you already, was they were saying that with all of the tweaks and things that they've made as part, as outlined um, in the blog post recently, they managed to achieve sort of um, five plus, like an additional five blue score points, which was the same as the shift from when they moved from phrase-based to neural machine translation. So I thought, oh, you know, we think as neural machine translation obviously is transformational, but then obviously all of this other work is going into the background to keep on, which can also sort of incrementally improve quality. It can. Now, I, I just have an issue with that, with that metric. Yeah. I, and I have an actual... Oh, yeah. Okay, I, I just sure. have a personal... Yeah. I don't think that metric makes sense anymore. I think if you really look deep, and I honestly don't have the capacity right now to look deep into Blue. We've, we've done it before, <laughs> and it's all on Slater, and go and check yeah. it out. But it's a flawed metric. Uh, especially yeah. as quality becomes good, I, that, that that metric just doesn't make much sense anymore. I mean, yeah. We've run a piece called the what the end of blue or some some headline like that. Something. Uh, I, I think those machine learning people need to understand you cannot mathematically um, measure the quality of a text. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just and that's coming. From, I mean, I'm I'm not a math guy. I'm a linguist. It's just not yeah. possible. You're not going to be able to mathematically evaluate the quality of a text um, to the nth degree. Yes, you can probably ascertain is it gibberish or is it a good, a well-written text. But like once mm. you get to the well-written text, then the math kind of falls out the window, in my view. And um, and that's that. Uh, taking a stand here from the linguist, <laughs> the linguist point of view. Draw a line in the sand. <laughs> <laughs> Draw a line in the sand. So... <laughs> Uh, yeah, moving away from MT, sorry we spent 20 minutes talking about MT, but let's move to another favorite topic of ours, uh, merchants and acquisitions. So there was a bit of a quiet time during the lockdown. Uh, one of the reasons was, you know, probably capital was held relatively tight for the first you know, mm. few weeks of the lockdown because nobody knew what was going to happen. Uh, but with the, the stock market actually roaring back, probably some of that capital has been... Um, uh, set free again. Also, I mean, it's kind of hard to do a an acquisition over Zoom. Um, you know, <laughs> you're not going to do yeah, a manage. Yeah. It's hard to meet a, a, the management and ownership of a company you're going to buy over a, a Zoom or you know yeah. whatever else video tool you're using. Call. So now it looks like people are starting to uh, meet again. Uh, it's it's possible. I mean, in Europe, you can you know fly around again. So. 
the first one was um, Iuno, uh, the big media localization company. What, what, what did they buy, Esther? Well, they bought a dubbing and post-production studio uh, based in Germany called Scala Media. And um, so this was um, an article that we published this morning on, on that acquisition. No um, sort of big details there uh, or no specifics, I should say. But I mean, it's it's sort of ramping up their presence in Germany quite, quite a bit. Um, they did already have an office in Germany um, through the BTI acquisition. Um, but this now, I think, takes up their headcount in, in Germany to around uh, 90 people. Um, and dubbing, obviously, very strategic, very, very popular in Germany. Um, so, yeah, kind of a logical logical step there within dubbing. Yeah, dubbing. I mean, I'm a, I'm a big um, consumer of German yeah. dub content with the kids, uh, you know, mm. da- daily, all of those Paw Patrol and, you know, trucks and, the, and, and that. I think maybe for, I wonder if, if dubbing is somewhat easier for cartoons because the lip movements are obviously much more rudimentary. Uh, I mean, uh, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. So it's not sort of, yeah, it's not uh, synchronized. Yeah, probably don't have to sync so that much. much. Uh, you know, now yeah. we, we just started watching this, uh, this robo fight thing yesterday. And I mean, yeah, it's like, okay. it's literally just a mouth that goes, I mean, it's a robo, it's a robot, right? So it, there's, there's probably yeah. little, little uh, lip syncing going on. But uh, yeah, I mean, Germany is, uh, is probably one of the top markets for dubbing, I, I'd assume. Uh, yeah. And uh, interesting acquisition there by, by Iuno. Then, we there is also a company in uh, Australia called AI Media, which we didn't really have on our radar prior Not to much, about no. four months ago when they got some funding and acquired another company in the U.S. Uh, I think they're they're more in the what, initially what they call like access services, like the captioning and subtitling. Yeah, uh, and you know AI Media obviously has the AI in it. And so they're really gunning for that AI label in the language services space. Again, they do captioning, translation, transcription, subtitling. Uh, and they're reported to be considering a listing in Australia, i.e. listing on the stock exchange, doing an IPO. Yeah. And um, that uh, AFR, the Australian Financial Review, I think it's called, uh, they said the valuation, yeah. the deal could value, or the IPO could value the company to tri- triple digit million. I think it is two or 300 million or something. So that would be a pretty big IPO for this industry. That said, though, it doesn't necessarily mean they're going to go IPO. We had this story about a year ago where Lionbridge was rumored to be exploring a listing in Australia, and obviously that didn't happen. So sometimes it doesn't pan out, or something. Yeah, doesn't pan out. They changed their mind, right? They changed their mind. That said, AI Media is an Australian company, so it would be a logical step. Whereas Lionbridge is, you know, uh, emphatically not an Australian company. Uh, Mm -hmm. Again, the whole angle here would be you know hey this may be the next app and app and you know it's going bonkers on the stock exchange you're like up to like three and a half billion dollars four billion dollars market cap straker also played to this when they listed and now you know who knows maybe ai media is going to list that would be such a random thing that you have like all of these basically the language industry ipos happen in australia they're just all yeah all centralized in why uh, why in, in australia? australia like you know well, i think you said as well the other about um, south korea also being a little bit of a hub or something uh, isn't well, there a couple there well you just had flito like so that was oh, this okay. uh, but, okay. but basically the last major transaction capital markets transaction in in europe or the us was Limebridge's delisting Right when they uh-huh. left the Nasdaq. Since then, as far as I know, not much happened. Right. So well, um, we've got quite a few in the UK already. So I don't know. 
Yeah, which would argue yeah. that why not take a few more public? Take a right? few more, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, okay, why Australia? It seems like um, the Australian public has, you know, has, has some appetite or the investors. Like, they have this huge, um, they call it super. Uh, there's this in, uh, superannuation, like uh, the pension plan. So there's there's oh, yeah. there's a lot of capital uh, going into, uh, you know, from, from all these, well, what they call supers in Australia. So it seems like those institutional investors that, that manage all these, uh, savings, people's savings uh, have an appetite for these types of listings. So let's see how mm -hmm. that pans out. Uh, I think typically when you're in this stage, like when you're starting the roadshow uh, with investors, you should, um, you know, you should, the listing would be a, then an, an official announcement should be away a couple of months. Uh, it shouldn't take okay. shouldn't take too long. So you know while. While all of this, um, well, while, you know, you have companies again starting to buy other companies and people exploring listings, it's kind of, it's interesting that you're seeing like a diverging uh, situation, diverging fortunes in this mm -hmm. industry. While at the same time, we're, we're about to publish an article where the U European Union interpreters, the auxiliary interpreters, they're oh, actually, yeah. they were uh, demonstrating in front of the European Parliament a couple of days ago. And we have like, oh, wow. ex we have exclusive footage <laughs> and uh, Oh, wow. And I was going to say, do we have, do we have images? And yeah, we, no, we okay, just uploaded good. a video on YouTube uh, where they, oh, awesome. you know, where they're demonstrating. So it, on the one hand, you have people being let go, many people being let go, many uh, translators, interpreters, uh, and small um, boutique LSPs that, you know, happen to be in the wrong vertical, maybe in travel or have, mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, retail, some other verticals where they just happen to be for no fault of their, I mean, obviously that, that was their, that was their core niche that, that are really struggling. Um, and uh, I mean, the European Union is even an official, um, uh, like a, a quasi state body that, that basically, you know, lets people go or doesn't, you know, yeah, I mean, has, has, has issues paying their contractors or doesn't uh, pay them adequately for the time they or for all the bookings they're losing because of the lockdown. Mm. On the one hand, you have these small and individual agencies and, and, and linguists suffering. On the other hand, you have this craziness of the stock market and now even deal making restarting again. I mean, if you're looking at mm. company share prices, RWS is trading just a fraction, like 5% below an all-time high. Keywords is just a fraction below an all-time high. Appen is at an all-time high. Uh, yeah. It's just an interesting, yeah, those those fortunes diverge. I mean, the 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 situation is quite, quite, quite tricky and also in in California for example uh the, there's this uh this law that we had that that's really putting a lot of pressure on freelancers the AB5 the AB5 which is now with with a weird amendment that only excludes certified translators is passing through uh, it, it passed through the assembly and now it's in front of the senate so yeah. if this actually passes the senate that that's another big um you know issue for for freelancers in, in the state of California of which there are many 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 so uh, yeah, it's a it's it's quite an odd situation where all the big business uh, or, or big business continues to you know do quite well and and trade yeah. uh, at, at record highs and, and and does these mergers and acquisition deals and gets funded etc. While on the other uh, side of the coin, you have uh, freelance linguists in in certain areas really suffering. So uh, I hope uh, things are obviously going back to a more kind of equitable situation in, in, in the next few months when, when things, when things ease. So, mm. so that's that. Yeah. So go check out uh, that latest article again, exclusive footage we have um, from the, uh, from that demonstration in front of the parliament and then all these, um, the other coverage we did this week and make sure to register for SlaterCon remote. Still time. All right. 
Have a good one. Thanks, Thanks Esther. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.